0: Oh my God, Jesus, Savior, Lord, you deserve all the praise, God, you deserve all the honor, God, your name should be hallowed in all the earth. God, that is our desire, to see your name hallowed in all the earth. Lord Jesus, you deserve it. You deserve it. It is you who left glory to take on human flesh and take on my sin, my wrath. God, you deserve it. It is you, God, who have given us life. God, you deserve all the praise, oh, Lord, for your love and kindness, for your majesty, for your knowledge, for your wisdom. God, you deserve all the praise, all the honor. Oh, Jesus, you deserve it. Father, you deserve it. Worthy is the name of God. Worthy is the name of God. Oh, Lord God, reveal yourself in your scripture. Let us see the glory of your coming kingdom. You deserve all the praise. You deserve it. The worship that you receive right now in heaven, you deserve it. Worthy is your name, O oh Lord. Oh God, reveal your truth. Change the way that we pray. Change our mindset and our approach to prayer. Jesus, lead us. Oh Lord, disciple us. Jesus, lead us to praying pleasing to your will, your way. Oh God, that our hearts and our motive is directed towards your kingdom first. Reveal to your scripture, Jesus. Sovereign God, it is you we approach. Amen. Amen. I believe as you understand a little bit later why we did that song, you deserve it. So we're going to continue our study on prayer. We're going to continue our study on prayer, on the model prayer. We're going through Matthew, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. We've been here for a little while. Last week, we looked at verse 9, hallowed be your name. We discussed what it means to put God first putting God first, we looked at, it starts with putting him first in our desires, meaning the things that we desire, the things that we pray about, they are things concerning God, we're not praying just for ourselves, we're praying concerning God, we were praying last week, our Jesus was teaching us to pray in verse 9, hallowed be thy name, which means that God's name be treated as holy and sacred and separate above all things and that is our desire Jesus is teaching that should be the desire of our hearts that your God is treated as holy and sacred that should be the desire of our hearts firstly that should be what we come to God for that's a part of it not just ourselves but we are desiring that his name be hallowed in all of the earth treated as holy today we're going to look at verse uh 10 the a portion if you will i know we're taking this slowly but your kingdom come we're just going to look at your kingdom come in the prayer and so in this next petition because remember these are petitions these are requests yes oh uh i'm sorry matthew chapter 6 the model prayer verses 10 verse 10 So, again, these are petitions that Jesus is showing us. These are requests that he's teaching us to pray. And today, petition number two, your kingdom come. Before we come to this text, we're going to come at it from a different angle. We're going to let 1 Peter 1 verses 1 through 2 prepare our hearts to meet God in this text. And the reason I say that is because oftentimes when I'm preparing to teach on a subject, I have to prepare, God prepares my heart to meet him there And he may take me to a scripture that has nothing to do at all with the subject matter that I'm going to be teaching on. But he is preparing my heart. Remember, as the high priest goes in into the Holy of Holies, remember, he prepares himself to go and meet God. And so God will often prepare me to meet him through another scripture. And so I just want to take you there through this process uh, with me as we prepare our hearts to meet God in this scripture of your kingdom come. So if you can turn to First Peter Chapter one, verse one through two. It's just a, a primer. Title Fernando's Your Kingdom Come. I know <laughs> I say your kingdom come for the title. I know you. Fernando's big on titles. So first Peter verses one through two. We're just gonna read that and prepare our hearts to meet God in our main text. So this is Peter. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who are resident, who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, who are chosen, this is our key word, who are chosen, how are they chosen? According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, how by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May peace, may grace and peace be yours in the fullest. So what Peter starts off telling these believers He says that you are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. You are the elect. God foreknew this. So he's telling the believers, you are chosen. You who are aliens scattered throughout all the places, you are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. And then he tells them that that the Holy Spirit has sanctified you, meaning has set you apart. And what we must understand when it says sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit is that in the Old Testament, when they were going to erect the temple, and remember when they would put in all of the items in there, the, the, the altar and the showbread and the lamp, they would anoint those things. They would consecrate those things. And they were thereby separating those things, consecrating them for the purposes of God, to be used for God's purposes specifically and only. And so Peter is saying, that is what the Holy Spirit has d- did with you. The Holy Spirit has sanctified you. He has set you apart for the purposes of God. You have been sanctified by the Spirit. So God has chose you, known you, And he says he has brought the spirit to set you apart. And then he gives the ultimate objective in this work. He says the sanctifying work of the spirit to obey Jesus Christ and to be sprinkled with his blood. He has foreknown you. The Holy Spirit has set you apart so that you will obey Jesus Messiah and be sprinkled, cleansed with his blood, cleansed from your field, cleansed from your sin. And then he says, may grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. So think on that. You have been set apart to obey Jesus Christ. And now in our main text, this same person, Jesus, is now instructing us to pray, to desire for God's kingdom to come on earth. The same Jesus that God has set you apart to obey is now in our main text. He is instructing us. He is teaching us to long and desire for God's kingdom to come on earth. That is what he's teaching us here in this prayer. And if you remember what I talked about last week, how this phrase, hallowed be your name, It's an heiress imperative written in the third person. So it is a, it is a urgent matter. Remember an heiress imperative described an urgent situation that you were wanting to happen completely once and for all. So Jesus is here teaching his believers. I want you to desire. I want it to be your heart's purpose that God's kingdom comes urgently, completely, and once and for all, not a partial coming of the kingdom of God, not just a little bit, but to desire the full consummation of the kingdom of God, that Jesus Christ just initiated as he walked the earth. This kingdom that Jesus Christ initiates when he walks the earth, he's now telling believers, I want you to desire for the fullness of this thing to come about. The fullness of your kingdom on heaven, um, in heaven as in earth. That is going to be your heart's desire. A disciple of me, this should be their desire of their heart. See, the kingdom of God was initiated when Jesus walked the earth. You must understand that. When Jesus began to do his earthly ministry, that is when the kingdom of God initiated. Or you can look at it in another way. When Jesus Christ first began his earthly ministry, that is when the doors of the kingdom of God swung wide open. You can look at it in that sense. That is when the doors of the kingdom of God swung wide open. And that ministry was ushered in by who? John the Baptist, because as we know in Matthew chapter three, if you want to go, there's right next to us so we can go there In Matthew chapter three, we have John the Baptist. This is verse one through three. We have John the Baptist calling people to repent and he's telling them that the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God has come near. Look what it says here in Matthew chapter three, verses one through three. It says, now in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea saying, repent, turn, turn from your old way of life, turn from your apostasy, turn from your sin, repent. He says, for what the kingdom of heaven is at hand, which means has come near. And then he says here, then he begins to quote Isaiah, the prophet saying, for this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So he's telling the people, the, the king that Isaiah prophesied about it in, in Isaiah 40, that king that we should make, path, make his uh, path straight, he said, that king has now come near. And that king has come near in the person of Jesus Christ. See, this text that he is quoting in Isaiah, it's describing the path being made straight for a monarch or a king who's coming to visit a town. I want to show you this. Um, Go to the main text where he's quoting, taking this from Isaiah 40. Go to Isaiah 40, our Old Testament. Let's go. Let's hear those pages turn. And look at verse 3. This is what John the Baptist is saying is being fulfilled in the coming of Jesus, the king. And I want to show you why this is a kingly passage that has to deal with royalty. So, here in Isaiah 40, look what he says here. Verse 3 he says, A voice is calling, Clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Look what he says here, Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Lift up every, um, let every valley be lifted up and every mountain hill be made low and let the rough ground become a plain and the rugged terrain, a broad valley. Look, then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh will see it. What is he describing here? He's describing a herald or a crier. See, during this period, when a king was going to come and visit a city, they wanted to make sure that that king had a smooth path. And so that's why it says here in the text, make smooth in the desert, a highway for our God. And it says, let every valley be lifted up, meaning that any place that was low on the ground, if there was a, a divot in the ground, the people would go ahead and make that place smooth. So that low spot, they would raise it up so it's smooth, so that when the king came walking down, his path would be smooth, it wouldn't be bumpy. And so when it says, let every uh valley or every mountain and hill be made low. So everything that is lifted up, let that come down smooth so that the pathway that our God is walking on will be a nice path. And it says, and let the rough ground become plain. Why? Because we don't want our king walking on rough ground. So let's go and smooth the ground. Let's make the terrain smooth so that as this royal monarch begins to walk through our city, he will feel welcome. That is what John the Baptist is doing. He's making the path smooth. He's saying royalty is coming, the king is coming, so I have to go and make his path smooth. See, it's kind of like if we had a president and he was coming down our street and our street had a bunch of potholes in it, we're not gonna let him come in this limousine is all bumpy and, and moving all around. No, what the city's gonna do, they're gonna go go and get Cal, uh, what do they call it? Cal-Train. Caltrain's. <laughs> Caltrain's gonna go, they're gonna have those cones out, they're gonna fix it up, they're gonna have it smooth, so ask this, President comes, as his royalty comes, his path is good, it's clear. So that is what John the Baptist is describing with his ministry. He's saying, I am making a path smooth because the king is coming. The king is coming right now. That king is coming in Jesus. So he tells him to repent because the kingdom of God has just come near to you. Now, you must understand this, that when John the Baptist is preaching that the kingdom of God has come near, it's not as if Jesus Christ was just born, right? This is 30 plus years after Jesus is born that John the Baptist is saying that the kingdom of God is coming near. So he's not saying it because Jesus is just born. The kingdom of God came near when Jesus was born, right, when he was finally birthed. That's why the Magi, remember, they were coming to what? Worship a king. Remember, Harold, he didn't want them to worship a king. So they were coming to bring their things to a king. They wanted to worship the king. So the kingdom of God had already come near in Jesus' birth. But at John's preaching was the fulfillment of time was the fulfillment of time for the gospel to go forward. It was the time when the kingdom of God was going to swing wide open and all those who come to believe in God's Messiah, they would now enter in. That's what that was. That's why he's saying the kingdom of God has come near because now this kingdom is wide open through the gospel, through Jesus Christ. He, he opens the doors of the kingdom wide so that you can come in and those doors will remain open. And to the fullness of times when all of the number of the Gentiles and the number of Israel comes in. And then Christ will return. And he will establish his eternal kingdom and be with his people forever. This is the event that Jesus is telling his disciples. You look for this. You pray for this. You want this to come. You pray for his kingdom to come completely and once and for all. You pray for his name to be hallowed once and for all by all the world. You pray for his will to be done, completely done, once and for all. That's why he's telling us the kingdom of God has come near. Now, there still may be some fuzziness in this phrase, the kingdom of God. Or your, your kingdom come. There still may be some fuzziness around the word kingdom because that's not a word that we use in our English language a lot, right? We don't use kingdom because there are no kingdoms around us. It's not like we live in the medieval period where you had tons of different kingdoms and, and you had like the kingdom of York or you had the kingdom of Northumbria. Those were kingdoms all around. We don't live in that period. We live in the United States, not the kingdom of the United States, even though some people will throw a joke, a political joke, and say, yeah, we do. We live by a monarch, but that's not the case. Some of you guys will get that joke later when you go home. But we don't talk kingdom talk here. That's the point I'm getting at. We don't know kingdom talk. Really, the the only time that I hear kingdom talk is when we're talking about Disneyland and the Magic Kingdom. We don't use kingdom language very often. Why? Because we live in a republic, right? We don't live in a kingdom. We live in a republic, meaning that we choose to govern ourselves as a country by we, the people, right? We choose representatives, congressmen's and congresswomen, and they represent us. But the difference with a monarch is, a monarch has complete authority. A monarch is a king or queen or emperor that is sovereign that that has absolute authority that whatever their word says it is law. For example Saudi Arabia Saudi Arabia's full name is the kingdom of Saudi Arabia Saudi Arabia has a king he has all authority he has absolute authority and if he whatever that king says it becomes law it becomes the law of the land so for example in 2015 The Saudi king allowed women to vote for the first time. He gave the decree, but that king could also just rescind that and women would not have the the, the right to vote. Why? Because this king in that country has sovereign authority. There is no one over him. He is the final, say, the buck stops with him. And likewise, with God in his kingdom, God is the sovereign king. God is the sovereign king. He has absolute authority, meaning that there is no one that God consults with when it comes to issues or things in this world. There's no one that is his counselor. Isaiah 40, verse 13 through 14 says this about God and his sovereignty and his power. He says, who has directed the spirit of the Lord or as his counselor has informed him with whom did he consult and who gave him understanding? Nobody. Why? Because God is sovereign. And in his sovereignty, he has allowed all the peoples of the earth to have to go and form their own kingdoms and to go their own ways. And we have seen what has happened as a result of that. As a result of the world going and rebelling against his king and going their own ways. As a result of that, the world today and yesterday, we have segregated schools that have treated people different on the basis of race. We have had women treated as second-class citizens. We have had weapons of mass destruction created in our kingdoms. We have had genocide that took place in Nazi Germany and on the continent of Africa because of our kingdom. We have created unjust and discriminatory laws. We have created unmoral laws where we have redefined marriage. We have done all of those things trying to be our own sovereign and rule in our own kingdom. That is what we did as a group. We have collectively as a people rebelled against our king. But not only have we collectively rebelled against our king, we have individually rebelled against our sovereign and chose to be our own sovereign in our lives and chose to do our own things. And guess what? God gave us the freedom to do that. And as a result of us being our own sovereigns, we see how we have wrecked our life. We've gone through unnecessary pains and unnecessary struggles. And it wasn't until we met the appointed king and sovereign God, Jesus Messiah. And heard the message of God's love and compassion that we came to our senses like the prodigal Son and recognized God as our sovereign, as our ruler, as King of King and Lord of Lords. It is in that spirit that we pray, "Your kingdom come Now you must understand this word, "Your kingdom come." It is something that Jesus often talked about, um, in his ministry. We often see kingdom talk being spoken of Jesus in the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We, we always hear the kingdom of God coming out of his mouth, whether it's through, um, some type of, uh, 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 example of a, of a tree or some type of parable. He's often describing the kingdom of God. For, for example, we have in Matthew 13, Matthew 13, verses 31 through 32, Jesus here describes the kingdom of God like a small little mustard seed. And here he's he's describing the growth of the kingdom of God. He says the kingdom of God is like a tiny little mustard seed or the kingdom of heaven where Matthew uses it because he's speaking to a Jewish audience where they didn't pronounce the name of God. So when you see the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God, they're synonymous. You can change them in here and there. But he says here in Matthew 13 that the kingdom of God is like this small little mustard seed. And he says this kingdom begins to grow and it outgrows every plant, which signifies that there's going to be no kingdom like this kingdom and there will ever be no kingdom like this kingdom. This kingdom will have the greatest authority and the greatest power. So here Jesus is using a mustard seed to describe the growth and the size and the scope of the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And if you look in the same chapter, in verse 44, chapter 13, Jesus describes the kingdom of God, but he's now describing the value of the kingdom of God. He he describes the kingdom of God like a treasure that is hidden in a field, he says which a man found and hid again, and then from joy over it, he says he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. So Jesus is there trying to teach us that the kingdom of God is very valuable. It is worth selling everything. It is worth giving up everything and just having this. Once you have this kingdom, you have it all. So here he's showing his people that the kingdom of God is something that you should really want. It is something that you should really seek after. It is valuable. It's more valuable than any treasure on earth. It is more valuable than any vacation destination. He's showing us that this kingdom of God is something that you should want. And if you look in this next verse, Matthew 13, 45, again, he's describing the value, the worth of the kingdom of God. He now describes the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven like a fine pearl, He says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and brought it. What is he doing constantly in these analogies? He's showing us the value of this kingdom. He's showing us that it is something that you should really strive after, that you should want. This is not something that you want to just put off. But he said, no, this is something you should want to do and want to get. So we see in these texts that Jesus is making a hard push for the kingdom of God. He doesn't want us to miss it. He doesn't want us to think about other things. He's showing us the value and how marvelous and glory the kingdom of God is. So why would we not want to pray thy kingdom come? If Jesus is constantly trying to show us the value of it, if he's constantly trying to show us this is something that we should want, why would we not want to pray thy kingdom come? See, quite frankly, to pray your kingdom come is to pray, really, this prayer is in our best interest, put it like that, because here's an important thing to note. While it is in our best interest to petition for God's kingdom to come, like I said, it is in our best interest that we pray for this kingdom to come because it is something glorious. It is something that's going to benefit us. The kingdom of God is this glorious thing. And so it is something that is in our best interest to pray for, but what we must also understand is that our motive solely can't be self. That is not why we want to pray for the kingdom of God. We can't pray for the kingdom of God because we want to see just sin eradicated. We want to see the world in this glorious place where we're all walking hand in hand. That cannot be the sole motive. See, if God right now came and eradicated crime all from the world, if he just eradicated all murder, all rape, all racism, all greed, guess what? That would be great for our communities right? We wouldn't have to lock the door at night. That would be great for us. But guess what? If those same people never hollow the name of God, if those same people don't worship the God that has granted that, then guess what? That is not a victory. See, that may be good for us, but the the reason that we desire for the kingdom of God is because God is worthy of all praise. And it's not just because the kingdom of God is going to benefit us and bring us to a new world that we want to be a part of. But we are desiring that he gets the glory and praise that he so deserves. Why? Because he deserves it. He has loved us. He has given his life for us. He has redeemed us from the death. He has given us new minds and new hearts and new spirit. And so he deserves the worship. He deserves the worship of heaven where they cry out, holy, 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 day and night. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He deserves that type of worship and he is not getting that type of worship in the world. And so that should be the main motivator of us wanting his kingdom to come on this earth, not just to eradicate sin so that he may, but that he may get the glory that he deserves, that he may get the praise that he is getting right now from the heavenly host. That he may get the praise that he's getting right now from David and Abraham. That he may get the praise that he's getting right now for the martyrs who were killed for their faith. And they're at the altar saying, God, how long, how long? See, that he may get all the praise. That has to be our first motive and why we want the kingdom of God to come. That has to be it. But he's not getting that worship in the world. He's not getting that. And part of the reason that he's not getting that is because on this side of heaven, the kingdom of darkness is still allowed to roam and cause havoc in the land. The kingdom of darkness is still allowed to go and to tempt and to get us to focus on things that don't concern God. And Peter tells us this. Peter tells us this in in, in 1 Peter where he tells the disciples that uh, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking for someone to devour. And we know from Jesus' interaction with Peter that the thing that Satan desires to devour is our faith. That's one of his schemes. That's one of his ways, but that is not his only way that he devours us. He also devours us by presenting the glories of the kingdoms of this world, so much so that we now desire our own kingdom more than thy kingdom come. That is how the enemy goes to devour. That is one of the schemes of the enemy to devour us, to get us to focus on my kingdom. Versus thy kingdom come. We see one of those schemes trying to be played out with Jesus doing his temptation. Matthew 4, where it says that, that Satan gives him a vision. It says in Matthew chapter 4, verse 8, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. See, look, we don't literally have to fall down and start saying Satan's name to worship at the altar of Satan. But when we seek our own kingdom over God's kingdom, when we begin to seek our own interests over God's interests, then we are operating in the ways of Satan and are therefore ensnared in his trap to carry out his will, as Paul told Timothy in Second 2 Timothy 2.26. So you don't have to necessarily go down and, and build an altar with horns and say, I'm worshiping Satan. But the moment you begin to just seek your own kingdom over thy kingdom come, the moment you begin to be just about you and your glory, the moment you begin to do those things, now you're operating in the same spirit that Satan was operating in, his own glory. That is how he devours us with the temptations of the things of this world that we it more than the things of God. And guess what? This is a stronger temptation for us in America than it is in any place on the earth. Why? Because we have our nice gated communities. We have our nice houses. We have our 401ks. We have our retirement plans. We have our vacation destinations. We have our timeshares. We have all of these things that makes us feel so good in our own kingdom. See, it is the people as D.A. Carson would say, it's those in those people in those third world countries, those people that are suffering persecution, they are the ones crying out, thy kingdom come. But in America, with our comfort, it is it is not easy to cry out that because we are so comfortable where we are where we're not saying, no, we don't want your kingdom to come. Can you just hold off a little bit, God? Because I, I got this retirement plan coming on. Can you just hold off five more years, God? I retire, and I get my money and I can do what I want to do. God, can you just hold off because I got these things that I want to accomplish here on this earth. See, we want our kingdom more than we want his kingdom. And that is a temptation that is strong here in America. Very strong here. I think about my ancestors, the slaves here, how many of the Negro spirituals Many of the songs dealt with just going to heaven so that they can get shoes because they didn't have shoes on their feet. They were desiring the kingdom come because it was so miserable and bad down here. See, they had a pure desire. They wanted to go away because they seen the mess. But us here, we got it so good. And so praying thy kingdom come is really a challenge for us. It's really a challenge for us. We got it so well. So when we're praying this word, thy kingdom come, embedded in these words is the hope that when God's kingdom comes, that kingdom of darkness, that temptation, that kingdom of darkness that's responsible behind all of the murders and the genocides and the wars, all the glory stealing, that kingdom will finally be thrown into the lake of fire. As Revelation 20 tells us, that is the hope that is embedded in that phrase, thy kingdom come. That the things that have caused havoc, that have stolen the glory of God, will finally be destroyed. That his kingdom will come, Christ will initiate judgment. And get all the praise and the glory and the honor that he so deserves. That's what's embedded in that phrase, Thy kingdom come. It's a hope to see God glorified like he should be. Thy kingdom come. Now, the proof of our sincerity when we make this petition for God's kingdom to come, it's not based on how loud we pray this prayer. It's not based on how often we make this petition, but it is based on our willingness to identify and abide by the laws of the kingdom on this side of heaven. See, we can't pray thy kingdom come in all sincerity and not have his kingdom have to have already come in our own lives. We can't want and hope that his kingdom comes in all the earth where his rule and authority has not come in our own hearts and our own lives. See, it has to come there first. If I want him to reign over all the, all the earth, then first I must ask him to reign in my heart. And I must abide by his laws, his rules, what he says, what he has commanded in the scriptures. See, I can't can pray this and not keep his commandments, which is his law. See, I show that I'm a citizen of the kingdom of heaven presently and that I keep the laws of the kingdom of heaven. I keep the decrees of Christ. I honor my Lord. If we do that, then we show that we are true citizens of the kingdom of heaven and are looking for this kingdom. But if we're just talking and not allowing his rule and authority to reach our hearts, to come in and have sovereignty over us, then we're just speaking words. So on this earth, if we're saying we are children of God, children of the kingdom, then we ought to be peacemakers as the beatitude shows us. Why? Because Christ is reigning in our heart and we are abiding by the ways of the kingdom. If we are children of God truly, then we should be quick to reconcile those people who have offended against us. Why? Because Christ reigns in our hearts and the kingdom of God demands it. We should be quick to purify our hearts from lust. Why? Because Christ reigns in our hearts and the kingdom of God demands it. We should be quick to turn the other cheek. Why? Because Christ reigns in our heart and the kingdom of God demands it. We should love and pray for our enemies. Why? Because Christ reigns in our heart and the kingdom of God demands it. See, as his kingdom come, see this, this word, thy kingdom come, it is a prayer that has feet. It's not a prayer that we just speak, but it's a prayer that we actually live as we follow our Lord and Savior in keeping his commandments. Everything that we have gone over so far on the Sermon of the Mount, those are the decrees, the ethics, the call of the kingdom of God. And if we want his rule and authority to come upon this earth, then it must first happen in us. And must first be demonstrated in us in our obedience to this sovereign king, this sovereign ruler. Now I want to stop here. And I want to briefly do something. I know we got children daycare over there. So we're going to do this for literally about five or six minutes. We're going to, this group, we're going to turn towards each other. And somebody can lead it. And we're going to pray for his kingdom to come. We're going to pray that his name be hallowed. We haven't talked about his will being done, but we're going to pray that his will be done. You can pray for one another, but let's first go. and Let's let this be our heart's desire that we want his kingdom to come. We want his will being done. We want his name being hallowed. And the same thing over here. Let's turn. We got a lot of people over here. So uh this row, you guys can be a rowing over here. Let's turn our chairs and let's come to the Lord. And let's pray that his name be hallowed. Let's pray that God is reigning, that people want to seek this Lord.